I think what people don't always recognize if they haven't raised capital before is investor often will look at your business quite different than, than how you look at it and think about it. So, you know, having having someone, you know, whether it's a snowball effect or someone else, just giving you some, some thoughts on how you're pitching your business, how you're presenting it yes. um, for investors, I think is is really useful. And that takes a bit of time to prepare. Um, yes. And I think it's worth, generally worth people's time engaging with someone just to help them out a little bit to get ready for that that process. You know, there's there's plenty of, of stuff online, to be frank, that you can sort of find to help start to steer you in the right direction. Um, yes. So preparation is key. I think the other thing is just making sure you know your numbers really well. Because um, ultimately, that's that's kind of why investors are there. You know, they, they may really want to back you as a person. How do you build a successful platform that helps entrepreneurs and startups to raise funding? What makes some startups successful when raising through crowdfunding compared to those who fail? How do you democratize investing in startups? These were some of my key questions for today's guest. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. My guest today is Simeon Burnett. He is the co-founder and managing director of Snowball Effect. Now, Snowball Effect is one of the largest, if not the largest crowdfunding platform in New Zealand. They have helped startups raise over $70 million in the last few years. So without further ado, let's hear from Simeon and find out how he built his platform and how he's helping hundreds of other startups all across New Zealand and Australia. So Simeon, it's it's great to have you here. Snowball is very well known in, in New Zealand. Everyone in, in anything to do with startups knows about Snowball. And I know Snowball has made a massive impact on the startup community in, in New Zealand. So I would love to know a bit more about the, the origin of Snowball and how you went from working for a corporate like corporate or a larger firm like Fonterra to starting Snowball. Yeah, well, nice to be here and, and thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, so that this was back kind of 2011, 2012 when we first started thinking about it. So that's obviously a while ago now. And as you mentioned, I was working at Fonterra. I sort of worked there for, for nine years before I, I jumped out, sort of the back end of 2015. But in the lead up to that, I had a couple of mates at Fonterra and we were just kind of generally talking about some of the frustrations that, that we had. And one of them that, that popped up uh, was, you know, easy access to investing in private companies in New Zealand. And, um, you know, a lot of, and, and it's not untrue of other countries in the world, but a lot of sort of the interesting companies are not publicly listed companies, you know, in New Zealand, just to, to talk about our market. But a lot of those companies are very, you know, well-established businesses. You know, they're, they're obviously leaders in their industry and all that sort of thing. But they're not necessarily the most interesting companies that we have available in, in New Zealand. So yeah. part of part of the, the the way that we started talking and thinking about it was well how how come, you know, this sort of process of discovering and investing in, in private New Zealand companies is not done online at all. Um, and look, you know, we were very naive back then. We we had no understanding of securities regulations and all that sort of thing. We we sort of figured there must be some sort of legal component to it all, but you know, that was, I guess, kind of the, the starting point for us. And we were, were also very fortunate as well that 
at that particular time. So we're sort of moving through to probably 2013 now. At that particular time, uh, the government was looking at sort of a lot of reforms within the, the financial markets. So they had the 2013 Financial Markets Conduct Act, which was an overhaul of a bunch of different legislation across the whole capital markets. And one of those pieces of, of new legislation was the introduction of peer-to-peer lending and equity crowdfunding. So most people will be familiar with peer-to-peer lending. We've got a couple of, of players in the market here in New Zealand. We've got Harmony, which is probably the most well-known, and there's Squirrel Money, which is another slightly different model on, on, on peer-to-peer lending. But anyway, um, they had peer-to-peer lending and they had equity crowdfunding, and that sort of looked to the UK, which was probably the most advanced market, probably three or four years ahead of New Zealand at that particular point in time, yes. um, for how it might work. So I think... You know, New Zealand being New Zealand, you can oftentimes just sort of get involved with things by picking up the phone and, and ringing someone and sort of you get through to the necessary parties and government and all that sort of thing and, and kind of away you go. So yes. that was a little bit um, like what happened to us. We had a, a friendly lawyer who was able to connect us up to the, the ministers in Wellington who were sort of charged with overseeing the writing of, of the, the regulations. We started to do some work in terms of some feedback from investors and companies as far as you know how they would potentially use that kind of regulation, like how would it make their lives easier or simpler. So along with many others as well, we kind of submitted our thoughts to, to the government and, and we kind of went from there. And it was a reasonably elongated process. We, we obviously decided at some point that we'd have a crack at it and, and wanted to be the first platform away. Uh, we sort of figured that, you know, you've sort of got this window where there's going to be a lot of noise and a, a lot of anticipation around this kind of new asset class that was being made available yes. uh, through equity crowdfunding, which was simply to allow people to be able to invest into private companies in a manner that was a lot simpler, both for the companies and, and for the investors without sort of getting too deep in the, in the regulatory stuff. But yeah, that, that was kind of how we started. And then we just kind of went from there. Um, and we, we launched at the back end of 2014. We had we employed a couple of staff. We had a, you know, a couple of developers. We had Josh Daniel, who was kind of the face of it in the early days. Yes. Um, and we were sort of busy working at Fonterra you know, funding him. We didn't raise any any capital ourselves initially. We had a, we had an investment from from one person who's sort of involved with the, the business now. But we yes. didn't do sort of a major capital raising round or anything. We sort of largely bootstrapped it and then away we went. And and then as I've mentioned, I, I sort of jumped out of Fonterra at the back end of twenty fifteen and and then we sort of evolved from there. So I guess just to sort of quickly roll through to, to where we are today. I think we've raised just a bit over a hundred million now for a, a wide variety of, of Kiwi companies and um, you know across a number of different industries, software. We've actually done some gaming stuff. It wasn't it wasn't sort of a, a public round or anything like that, but we yes. we did support a capital raise for a gaming company, you know, software, consumer products, food and beverage, all that sort of thing. So we've been been fairly uh, agnostic in terms of of, of most industries. Yes, um, and that's provided people with you know a very diverse array of companies that they that they have the opportunity to invest in. We do tend to focus more on companies that are somewhat established, as in you know they have revenue kind of approaching yes. a million bucks. They are kind of growing, raising capital to kind of really accelerate what it is that they're doing, as opposed to sort of figure out is there a market for what they're doing? Will people buy their product? Will people you know, consume their service? All that sort of thing. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of a very brief 
sort of overview, but yeah, it kind of gives you hopefully a bit of a sense of, of sort of how we started and just kind of, you, as you'll know, you know, you just kind of start with a, an idea or a thought and, you know, I think kind of the, the key difference really between sort of executing on it and, and not is just sort of persistence. Um, Absolutely. Just keep on pushing, keep on pushing, keep on making progress. Yes. And at some point, you know, either you've got something or you haven't. So yep. um, yeah, that, that's kind of how, how we got going. That's yeah, that's excellent. One of the thing you did mention about the gaming company that it wasn't a public round. So how does that work? Yeah, so maybe just to talk a little bit about how we've evolved. And yes. uh, as I've I've spoken to already, kind of equity crowdfunding, I guess for us was our toe in the water into the capital markets yes. in New Zealand. We kind of had a a sense that they could be a lot more relevant than what they are to to most Kiwis, and they could be a lot more efficient. So that was kind of the starting point for us and those regulations, equity crowdfunding regulations, which just to cover off um, what they actually are, it just means that people who don't make, meet wholesale or eligible investor criteria, so that's criteria which really just categorizes you based on your wealth or your experience in investing. And um, so it sort of says if you meet these criteria, then you know, you have enough wealth or enough experience to assess financial products that may not have all the information that a regulated financial product may have. So anyway, so this allows, equity crowdfunding allows people who don't meet those criteria to aggregate and invest up to $2 million into any company um, that's raising through a platform like Snowball Effect. So they use, the company is utilising our licence and our, our preparation yeah. work to make that offer available to, to New Zealand investors. So that's kind of the that's kind of the nuts and bolts of equity crowdfunding. So that that kind of got us going. Um, but then obviously through that process we were we were fortunate enough to get quite a bit of publicity. Um, and particularly the companies that were raising the capital got quite a bit of publicity. So through that, you know, we've built a database of, of over thirty thousand private investors now. And of course, what you do once you've got that sort of database, you can start to segment it up a bit. Yes. Um, so I would say probably 10 to 12% of that database is, meets wholesale criteria. So for us, what that means is that we can offer them other financial products that we can't meet or offer people that, that don't meet those, those criteria, just for, for regulatory reasons, as I mentioned. And so that allows us to offer those offer products to, to those that three three and a half thousand, and so the the offer that we did for it was actually Legend Story Studios, who you might be familiar with. The uh, they yes, I've heard that name. Games, so it's not yes. online, it's not it's not digital, but it's um, yes. physical cards. Yes, and they've gone really well. They had a bit of publicity recently, but uh, anyway, they we had some investors invest in that, and yeah, so we we tend to run a, a bunch of different types of offers, I would say, because not all companies are suited to kind of the publicity, exactly. you know, some yes. companies will say, hey, I'm, you know, I don't want publicity. I don't want my competitors finding out all this information about me um, yes. because you do need to disclose a bit of information to, you know, convince people in an online format that they Absolutely. want to invest in your, in your business. So, yeah, so we work with, you know, that, that group of wholesale investors to come into to more private companies or that company may want just to offer it to a small select group of people, maybe kind of family offices or, or larger investors. So, yeah, we're really about kind of tailoring the, the capital raising solution for the business. Um, yes. Obviously, the public raises, as I say, they, they suit some companies, but others they don't. And it's really for us about working with that company over a number of years to support them with their capital raising needs. So 
for example, we've recently got a, a sponsorship from the NZX, which means that we can take a company through to a, a full listing or, or an IPO. So for some companies that we've, we've raised with, you know, two or three times before, they're now looking at, okay, well, how do we create some liquidity in this business that's got to a decent scale? Um, yes. How do we open the doors for more institutional type funding? And, and one of the ways that you can do that is through a, a public listing. So we can work with them all the way through that, that process. Some of them will, will go through a public listing. Others, you know, that, that won't be for them. So, yeah, it's just about, as I say, kind of providing solutions for companies that are, are quite young and sort of saying what's the best option for you up to companies that are, are becoming more mature and becoming businesses of a real scale. That's excellent. Where, where do you see the future of um, Snowball or or the sort of a private market or equity market in, in the next five years? Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's a difficult question to sometimes answer because things keep on getting uh, thrown at you in terms of opportunities. Um, yes. What, what I think you'll see this year, just to kind of talk about the short term, is that we will start offering different types of products at a higher rate than what we've been doing previously so by that i mean you know for some investors actually one one we did recently which you know wasn't uh particularly different from what we've done before but we offered investors the opportunity to invest in the our crowd fund so our crowd is the largest investing or investment platform in the world i think they've raised about two billion usd they are very focused on sort of high-tech, deep-tech type companies, particularly out of Israel, where there's a lot of technology that gets developed and also obviously in the US as well. So, you know, companies like Jump, which was acquired by Uber, Uber, there was Beyond Meat, and then a whole bunch of sort of high-tech type companies that people probably haven't heard of. But that's kind of what they they focus on. Um, So the, the fund that we offered Kiwi Investors was just a really simple way for them to invest in an offshore fund and get exposure to kind of that global venture capital market, which, you know, is difficult to get access to. But doing it through us, we kind of made it a lot easier from a compliance perspective. So sort of literally within sort of three minutes, you could go through and invest and you didn't have to worry about the compliance side of it. So we've done a bunch of stuff in the background to make that easier. So that's that's obviously a product that's kind of not that far away from what we've already been offering people. Yes, uh, but we will offer over the course of the next twelve months different types of products relating to kind of exposure to different credit types of instruments to yield financial yield based financial products that kind of thing. So yeah, starting to kind of go a little bit wider than sort of sort of medium to high risk kind of private companies. So look, I think that's that's something that we're looking forward to. We've got. Uh, sort of some interesting opportunities in front of us in terms of the types of products that, we're, that we bring out. Um, but, yeah, so, so people should sort of keep an eye on that over the next 12 months or so. Oh, that's excellent. So one of the things I didn't mention earlier was that I'm also a venture partner for a VC firm based in Indonesia. They exclusively invest in um, startups in Southeast Asia because it's such a massive, the, the Asian region is so massive, like 700 million plus people. And some of the countries have um, a really um, decent GDP per capita, like Singapore yes. and Malaysia. And, and Indo- Indonesia itself is nearly 300 million. That's nearly a size of US growing at some parts of Indonesia growing at like 10-15% a year uh, which is insane and and the growth and the return they are getting it's next level so I've become a venture partner for them and traditionally how it works is that you go and look for family offices ultra high net worth individuals and LPs and and those are the people who are allowed 
to invest in those sort of Correct. VC funds. And so would it be right to say that our crowd would be like type of a VC fund, which would allow not only those type of people, like you don't have to be an LP or something like that, but could be normal, regular Kiwi who wants to just invest, say, $500 and would give access to that. Yeah, so because of regulation, so you mentioned the LP status. So yes. that's a limited partnership. So yes. for people listening, a limited partnership is just a type of structure that, that you can have, which a lot of funds do do have for a bunch of different reasons. Um, yes. But that just limits from a regulatory perspective who can invest in it. Exactly um, right. So same situation in New Zealand. It was a Israeli-based limited partnership. So it was only wholesale and eligible investors that were able to invest, but we set the, the minimum investment quite low for this sort of thing. So yeah. our, our minimum was, was 10K New Zealand dollars, so yeah. 10,000 New Zealand dollars. Um, so you know that would compare to, to other funds where you'd normally be kind of at least 100,000 USD to get access to it. Um, yes. So anyway, that... That was, as I say, that was just for, for wholesale investors, that one, unfortunately. Um, we did have a lot of people wanting to invest but not being able to. But, yeah we, yeah, we don't write the regulation, so there's not too much that we can do about that. Yeah, that's that's interesting to know. So that was the sort of lower limit. But you said that you'll be looking at introducing more products in the future. What are your views on the whole growth of cryptocurrencies and everything in the last four years from 2016 to now, especially the boom of 2017 and the the current boom that we are in? And where do you see it going? Do you see more companies or, or anyone trying to get funding through that route? Yeah, I mean, I think crypto is interesting, isn't it? You know, I think we've probably seen in the last couple of years it being paid a bit more attention by institutional Players, um, yes. You know, you can you can get crypto, or you can get sorry, Bitcoin uh, ETFs now. Yes, um, and they're, they're pretty well supported. I mean, I think the challenge will be for, for who knows how long, but just the volatility of any other cryptos. And I can never make head nor tail of of why they've gone up or why they've gone down. It's, it's just very much a supply and demand driven thing. Whatever's driving now, I'm not sure what the information is that, that drives people to to buy or sell. And um, but look, it's, a, it's an interesting asset class, and I think more and more people are, are getting some exposure to it. We've seen Tesla recently, obviously, uh, invest a significant amount of cash in, into Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of interesting. But, you know, you're seeing sort of institutional banks and that sort of thing now yes. put together products to get exposure to it, to have it as part of their, their wider portfolios that they offer their clients and all that sort of thing. So... Look, I, I must say I'm not an expert in, in cryptocurrencies or anything like that, but I think you know probably over the next five years or so, you'll probably see some more consolidation of kind of the primary cryptocurrencies. I would have expected, yes. and I think you know we'll continue to see institutions look at them seriously as something to add to their their portfolio or to diversify. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And it's just that how I see it, I could be wrong. I'm again, not an expert, but just because there is so much happening in that space and everything and, and just being running the platform that we are running insider, we know what's happening on the ground because of how people are predicting on our platform. And the interesting thing I have seen is that in countries like, so we have a lot of users from Latin America or or they're coming onto our platform and they're asking us questions, interacting with us on our different WhatsApp groups.
group, Discord group, all that stuff. So, and the interesting thing, what we have seen is that a record number of people in, in that part of the world, because of, you know, every government has printed money in the last eight months, 12 months, yeah. something like that. Right. Because of the people there, especially Argentinian currency, Latin American currencies, they are so prone to inflation in times like these that everyone has moved away from stocks. I mean, I'm talking about they never used to trade their own stocks. They used to trade only US from there to cryptocurrency. And then the the second thing that we have seen, the reason that is, is because the US stock market has, you know, 9.30 to 4.30 p.m. Crypto market never sleeps. So the in a one week, crypto market has three times the velocity or farther it further it can go and do more trade than the the stock market so there's lots of factors that the the crypto side of things the funding side of things is growing and then the second thing is the the key difference is that money is just money and and so bitcoin to me is a bit like currency coin but then there is the the functional coins on which you can build software like ethereum or cardano or polkadot so a, a lot of like smart contracts can be built on top of that so you could divide things you could and so i feel like there's a lot more going to happen in that space in the next five years just like how database change things for computing yes um, it's just it's just what some people said it's a database with some spice that's blockchain <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so, well yeah. blockchain has been around for quite a while now it hasn't is. it but it, yes. it's sort of yet to sort of find its its position in the world and then you know how it gets used how it gets accepted and um, so yeah, like I think blockchain's interesting, and I, sort of probably maybe three or four years ago there was a lot of hype around blockchain. Yes, um, and then it's just kind of settled back down again. Yes, and I think now you, you've probably got the players in the market who are there for the long term, who are who are going to build something functional and useful for for people to to use or to to have it as part of their their product, whatever it is. Um, yes, have it have it built on a blockchain. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, very very interesting. Any thoughts on the on the latest IPO of Coinbase that happened this morning? Yeah, yeah. Well, we just kind of kicked some stuff around in the office, and I, I haven't sort of read it yet. But yeah, it looked like it was off to a, a pretty good start. And and someone mentioned something about their financials that they're doing sort of one point four, one point eight million, or one point eight billion of revenue or something like that. Yeah, which you don't see companies around doing. And that. that is per quarter, not per yeah. year. That is right. per quarter for people listening. <laughs> yes, which is insane. And that's US dollars as well, not New Zealand dollars. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't sort of dived into the detail yet, but I actually heard about a, a fund, an Aussie-based fund that had invested in uh, Coinbase early on, and they had made some sort of astronomical return on, on their investment. So there'll yeah. definitely be some happy people this morning. Yes, absolutely. But the thing is that it wasn't open to retail investors back then. So when it was worth even like, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, it was worth 5 billion or something. And you could not invest in it as a a retail investor. And that's what I like about Snowball, that you are democratizing a lot of investment that was not traditionally available to individual investors or retail investors. So yeah, it's yeah I think there's, there's two parts to it. One is sort of access to people that may not have had access before. Yes. And then the other part is I think just simplicity of investing in it. It's, if you haven't done it before in an off-platform manner, it is a, an incredibly clunky kind of process with, you know, lots of PDF documents and certifications and AML and all that sort of thing. I- 
so you know being able to do it via a platform like ours where you can come in all the aml gets undertaken for you online you can have your investment stored in your profile you have all the legal documents there so it just makes it nice and centralized for people to, to keep a record of it and you know that's we sort of talked before we started recording just about something else that, that we've kind of spawned out of snowball effect a bit new product called orchestra so orchestra.io that, that people can go and have a bit of a look at that but very simply it's, it's a way for companies to manage kind of the, the back office compliance of a, of a cap table so kind of you know, fast-growing companies or, or companies that are, are reasonably well-established, it, it works equally well for both. You know, some of them will have a cap table with, you know, a bunch of investors on it, and, and that can be changing over time as they raise more capital or there's transfers of shares and uh, so on and so forth. Other companies will be, you know, releasing employee share schemes. Yep, so we anticipate a lot of growth in that particular part of yes. the market here in New Zealand. It's, it's reasonably new here compared to, say, the US where, it's, you know, it's been part yeah, and parcel of the way they, they operate in, in yes. different forms for a while. So um, what we did with Orchestra was make it nice and easy for companies to, to manage that and for investors to be able to kind of keep a gauge and uh, an overview of their private company portfolio. So... Just for people that aren't aware, you know, for, for a lot of investors, they may have, say, 10 investments across different private companies. Yes. Most of that information is just all over the place. It's in their inbox. Yeah. It's in some safe to drop box. Some of it will be on the company's office in New Zealand. Yes. Some of it will be sitting with their lawyers. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if the company's doing another capital raise and you kind of need to know what are those those older documents, what, is, what are the terms that I've invested on, all those sorts of things. So anyway, Orchestra makes that nice and simple and we, we split that out of Snowball Effect. So initially we'd sort of built it in as, as part of the Snowball Effect platform but sort of quickly realised that if we're going to market it properly, it kind of had to be split out and have its own features built and it still integrates with Snowball Effect but to be able to, to bring on companies who may never raise any capital and allow that to function in its own right. So we, we did a, a joint venture with the guys that started Grab One and, and Neighbourly. Um, yes. So Shane Bradley and Casey Eden. So Casey's in, in orchestra, he's running it, and, yes. and he's, you know, he's a significant shareholder in the business. And so that's something that we've sort of we've built and, and spawned out of, of Snowball Effect. It's still a, a very young business, but I think we've got, you know, 300-odd clients on there now um, using the product and, now getting into the Australian market, so um, oh, that's yeah, that, that'll be interesting for as we as we grow that as well. So that's that's something that that I think is a useful product, whether you're raising capital or not. So can I ask you a couple more questions about it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So does it do things like such as is it only for New Zealand market or does it also do US based startups for them as well? You, you could put a US based startup on there. We're probably more focused on Commonwealth countries. Yes. Just because of um, the legal similarity, yes. Yeah. No, yeah. So if if you were a US based startup, I would actually recommend that you jump on a a, a similar product called Carta. So C A R T A. Very big, very famous, super yeah. big. Carta is yeah. so big. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So that's probably the best product for you to use if you're a a, a US based startup. But if you're yes. in the UK, if you're in Canada, if you're in Australia, yes. if you're in Singapore, Hong Kong, so kind of other Commonwealth type countries, you know, something like Orchestra works equally as well for you as it would for a US 
based company using Carter. So we don't have all the government integrations yet into in Australia and for, for, for you know, equivalent government agencies in, in the yes. UK and so on. But yeah, we're, we're building those features now. So we do have a number of Australian companies on there using it. And shortly, I'm sure we'll have some, some companies on there from, from other Commonwealth countries. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very inspiring. So it helps in, in building, say, like a, is it called pro forma cap table and things like that? Yeah, that's right. So it allows you to look at your cap table at different points in time. Um, yes. So let's say you've, you've been around for five or six years, you've done say, three capital raises. You may want yes. to look at what my cap table used to look like, uh, yes. you know, my two years into it. What did that look like? So you can go back and recreate old cap tables. You can look at what I, what we'd call a fully diluted position. So that's where you may have issued options uh, to staff and you go, well, if all the staff exercise their options, you know, what's the dilution impact on that? So you can create that view of your cap table and also just see all the different options that you have as a company. When do they expire? What are the strike prices? So what are the prices that the share price that the people can buy in at? Likewise, for staff, it's a great way of engaging them because yes. rather than having sort of bits of paper and contracts and stuff floating around, they kind of have a visual representation of their ownership stake or potential ownership stake in the company. Yes, um, after the vesting period and all that. Correct, correct. So it's just a lot better way of getting engagement from people and from staff so they can actually feel like real owners because sometimes with options, people don't feel like real owners because they can't see themselves on the cap table or anything like that. This is just a way to kind of get that 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 benefit that as a as a CEO or a founder that you're wanting to get from your staff through the through the ESOP program. So yeah, so it, pro- it provides a bunch of different scenarios that you can run through, recreate cap tables, all your documentation, shareholders agreements, subscription agreements. It all gets stored in there, so it just centralizes all that yes. kind of back office stuff involved with kind of the transaction of raising capital or issuing ESOP or whatever the case may be. Yeah, no, that sounds great. About crowdfunding from for for fundraising, what would be your sort of number one tip for any startup thinking about it or, or any company thinking about it? Yeah, number one tip. I think number one tip is, and this is not probably just a crowdfunding tip, but number one tip I think is just to think about and talk to people about what the best fundraising options are for you because there are different yes. fundraising options out there. Um, you know, a number of companies that approach us, we will refer them on to other people in the market because, you know, they may be too early. There may be just others in the market who are a better place to, to work with them. So, yeah, for any of your listeners who are interested in just finding out a bit more about who they could talk to, always feel free to get in contact with us and, and we'll yes. sort of just give you a bit of a hand to, to talk about the market generally. And, you know, perhaps, you know, making an offer to the public is 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 going to be a, an interesting option for you to consider or perhaps, you know, you're going to be more more better placed to, to go with, you know, just a, a small handful of private investors. So as I said before, it's really around creating solutions yes. for companies to raise capital that, that are best for their business. And, you know, over time they they may change in terms of what the best options are. So um, I know that's not a specific answer with respect to, to equity crowdfunding, but I think, Kind of understanding the landscape here in New Zealand before you sort of jump in is, is a good place to start. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. I think that applies to every country, every industry. What have you seen has worked really well for all the companies that have gone through Snowball? What has popped out for you that that helped them that, that helped those companies do exceedingly well in their fundraise? There's probably 
there's probably never any kind of one major thing that just kind of means that you nail it or, or not nail it. I think what people don't always recognize if they haven't raised capital before is investor often will look at your business quite different than, than how you look at it and think about it. So, you know, having having someone, you know, whether it's Snowball Effect or someone else, just giving you some, some thoughts on how you're pitching your business, how you're presenting it yes. uh, for investors, I think is is really useful. And that takes a bit of time to prepare. Um, yes. And I think it's worth, generally worth people's time engaging with someone just to help them out a little bit to get ready for that that process. You know, there's, there's plenty of, of stuff online, to be frank, that you can sort of find to help start to steer you in the right direction. Um, yes. So preparation is key. I think the other thing is just making sure you know your numbers really well. Because um, ultimately that's that's kind of why investors are there. You know, they, they may really want to back you as a person. They may really like the industry. They may be keen to give back to, to New Zealand companies through investing. But ultimately, you know, they'll they'll have some sort of view on wanting to get a return from, from what they're investing in. And I think you know, making sure your, your numbers are credible in terms of your projections, how much capital you're raising, why you're raising it, all that sort of stuff helps to, to position a company and a, and a founder really well for those discussions with investors. And just real clarity on, on strategy. Um, yes. Having a, a, a really good grasp of, I mentioned sort of why you're raising capital, and it sort of sounds an obvious thing, but you know, the, a number of companies that we would talk to when you first talk to them, they're sort of wanting to raise capital for about 35 different reasons. Now, and that's that's just not going to fly. You kind of have to, to, to narrow that right down and be quite precise about why you're raising capital and be clear on your plan. And look, things change. That's the reality of, of young businesses or, or even sort of medium stage businesses. Opportunities change. Things just happen, which means that in a year's time, hey, you didn't do a number of things, but it made it made sense to, to pivot away from them or to pursue other opportunities. But you know, having that real clarity around why you're doing what you're doing, and you're not trying to, you know, to, to coin a phrase to boil the ocean to, with, with why you're raising capital, but being quite sort of precise around it is, is always really helpful. Yep, makes sense. Makes um, a lot of sense. Is there a book that you are reading right now? Yeah, there are, there's a few books that I'm reading at, at the moment. I tend to be someone that oftentimes uh, starts a book and, and gets into it, and then because I tend to sort of read over holidays, yes. um, I don't tend to read as much sort of throughout the the working year. And I think it's sort of because you read a lot of work and exactly right. And then like you, to break to have a break, you don't really want to yes. pick up a book and start reading it. So yeah, sort of got a number of different. Of books on on the go at the moment. I always like reading Bill Bryson's books. Um, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with him or not. Um, but probably his most famous book is uh, The Short History of Nearly Everything. I've heard of that, but I haven't read it. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting book. Um, it, it, it's just, a, he's got, I don't know, a plethora of books out there, but it, it tends yes. to be sort of historical, as historical review of, you know, a period of time in the US or whatever the case may be. But he, the way he writes, he's quite humorous with the way he writes. He makes it a really engaging read. So I always enjoy reading his books. Um, in terms of sort of more startup-related books, um, one book that, that I think was really helpful for me, and it was sort of one of those books that you read it and you sort of have to put it down and have a bit of a think about what's been written and then you pick it up again and read a bit more. You're not probably going to knock it out in a, in a long weekend or something like that. But was a, was a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which you, you yes. know, read, which I thought was a, a really good practical book to, to sort of running and building a company. So it was written by 
guy called Ben Horowitz. Anderson Horowitz, A16Z. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, so one of the partners there, but they they founded Netscape. So some of your, your older listeners may remember Netscape. And anyway, I think it's just a, a handy kind of practical book for, for people um, who run a company. It doesn't have to be kind of a, a tech startup or anything like that. I think it's just a good book generally to, to have a bit yeah. of a grasp of. That is very interesting. Absolutely recommend Ben Horowitz. Anything he writes about cu- culture, he writes a lot about company culture or building a culture in the company. And and some of his books are great on, on that sort of topic. Second to last question, and that is, if you had to start all over again, what would you do different? <laughs> yeah, probably the, the same same thing that anyone that, that starts a business and probably whether it's their first one or their, their tenth one, you know, you'd you'd do a lot more faster, I think. I yes. think maybe for the first kind of company that you start, but like anything you do for the first time, you you can sort of you can either go too fast and sort of be busy doing stuff that doesn't matter, yes. or you can kind of be a bit maybe a bit slow and a bit cautious. And it's just because you, you haven't done it before. So you're not necessarily kind of prepared to take the plunge and, and back yourself. So I think Probably for us, it was probably not backing ourselves as much. I think we should have, yeah, there'd be stuff I'd do again a lot sooner if I had my time again to do it. But, you know, as you said, it's it's all very easy in hindsight. And <laughs> exactly <better>. right. <laughs> start, start another business, you know, maybe that won't be won't be the problem that I look at in, in hindsight or the, or the lesson from hindsight rather than the problem, <laughs> but um, there'll be something else. So Exactly um, right. Yeah, so... That, that would be the only thing, I think. And, you know, sometimes you don't know that, that you know, you could have gone faster and, and done it in less time yes. uh, until you're, you're five years down the track or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Um, 100% agree. And, and that's something I see all the time. And, yeah, I'd say the same thing to myself, and, and which we get to implement now. So you learn and, you know, you learn new lessons <laughs> all the time. So, that's well, right. Um, final question and that is do you have a ask are you looking for anything are you looking for team members investors anything well yeah team members is an interesting one we actually have a couple of positions going in, in the team at the moment so if people are interested they can they can hop on snowball effect just go to our careers page kind of quite diverse the positions yes. so one sort of in the commercial space others in the, in the in the developer space so a couple yes. of roles going there but look you know as, as I mentioned earlier on you know happy just to have a chat to people or someone in the team have a chat to you if you're a you're a company. It uh, doesn't matter if you're sort of a pre-revenue startup thinking about raising capital or kind of more established and, you know, a couple of million bucks, millions of dollars of revenue and thinking about how do I fund my business to the next stage? Is it equity? Is it debt? How do I think about perhaps going a bit faster and being able to accelerate my growth and, and capture a few more opportunities and, and oftentimes you need funding to do that. So yeah, look, happy just to have a have a chat to people. Feel free to, to, to drop me an email and if, if I can't help you or if I'm not the best person to help you, I'm, I'm happy to pass you to someone else on the team. So don't be afraid about doing that. And if I, if I take a day or two to get back to you, I, I apologize, but I, I will get back to you. No, that's great. So yeah, I, what I'll do is I'll put links to everything that you have mentioned in the description, wherever this goes out, whether it is on um, Instagram or LinkedIn or TikTok or an Apple podcast, like all, all the different platforms it will go out on. So yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you for all your time. And look, I mean, I, I think your snowball has made an amazing impact on the whole um, startup and small business, small to medium sized business ecosystem in, in New Zealand. So no, it's Thank great. Thank you very much.
Yeah. yeah thanks, thanks for the invite again. Appreciate it. No, that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.